So Colossians 3.21, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And our text this morning is very simple and straightforward, very short. Uh, read it again. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And this passage, it divides uh, pretty naturally into three distinct parts. Uh, first, there is the, di- the direct address to fathers. Secondly, there is the command, do not provoke your children. And third, there is the purpose of the command, lest they become discouraged. And we're going to look at these three parts of this Scripture in reverse order this morning. Uh, first, we'll direct our attention to the goal of Christian fathers, uh, namely rearing children who are not discouraged. Second, we're going to look at the duty of Christian fathers, namely not to do those things that discourage their children. And finally, uh, we're going to focus on the leader in Christian parenthood, namely fathers. So uh, first, before we do that, I want to look a little bit at uh, the fatherhood of God. See, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught His disciples to call God Father. He said, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be Your name. So He teaches us through that uh, prayer to the disciples that we relate to God as believers as our Father. Uh, he also taught that God is not everyone's Father. In fact, in John 8, uh, 42 and 44, whenever He was speaking to people who refused to follow Him, who refused uh, to believe in Him, He said this, He said, If God were your Father, you would love Me, for I proceeded and came forth from God. You are of your Father, the devil, and your will is to do your Father's desires. Also, we understand that God is the Father only of those who are led by His Spirit. Uh, Romans, Romans 8, 9, and 14-15 through 15 says, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Speaking of God. And skipping to verse 14, it says, All who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit Himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Also, we understand that not everyone can lay claim to the privilege of knowing God as Father. Uh, John 1, 12-13, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, only those who are born of God, who receive Christ, uh, who, are, who are led by the Spirit of God, have the right to receive this inheritance and be called children of God. And call Him Father. So promises like uh, Matthew 7.11, which says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? We see that the privilege of prayer and promise and that God works all things together for good apply to His children. 
Those who can call Him Father who have believed in Jesus and have been adopted into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ call God Father. And that's what it means uh, to have God as our Father. Now there's two reasons why I wanted to open up uh, with the word about the fatherhood of God. One is that I believe that all fatherhood, all human fatherhood, should be patterned uh, after uh, our Father God who is in heaven. Uh, our children ought to be able to see in us, even though it's imperfect, and, and we, we are not perfect and, and righteous and just like God, our children should be able to see in us a reflection of Father God. They ought to be able to see in us uh, that, that reflection of God in, in our strength and tenderness, in our wrath and in our mercy, in our exaltation and in our condescension, and in the surpassing uh, wisdom above our children and our patient guidance of our children. Through that, our children should see the image of God reflected in us as we follow Him by the power of His Holy Spirit. The other reason that I begin with the fatherhood of God is to give this message relevance to everyone in this room who is not a father. Um, and anyone in here who didn't have a Christian father. Because, you know, at the outset of this message, I, I want to tell you that this could invoke sadness in your heart. Maybe because you never had a Christian father like what I'm going to describe. And it could even invoke sadness in your heart today because you were not the father, the Christian father that the Bible tells us that we're supposed to be. But I want to tell you this morning that that sadness can be swallowed up and overcome with joy this morning because God offers His fatherhood to anyone who will accept the gift of adoption by believing and trusting in Jesus. And so today I hope that, that, uh, that you will get a, a picture through this message of Father God. And having said that, there are really two ways to listen to the message this morning. Number one is to take it as a straightforward exhortation from the Word of God to fathers on how to rear your children. The other is to take it as a parable pointing to the way that the Father in heaven loves those who believe and follow His Son. And hopefully today, you can listen to this message in both ways and receive it both ways. Amen? So, uh, let's go back to the text. I want to say one more thing before I go on real quick. Uh, it's not in my notes, but I just felt the Lord speaking it in my heart during praise and worship, and I don't want to miss it. I meant to stop. I should have wrote it down. But uh, I just want to speak to the young people real quick. Uh, young adults uh, who, who are not married. Uh, you know, I, I want to speak the relevance of this message to you. I want to say that, that uh, for the young ladies, you know, this is the type of man that you need to look for. And I want to say something that, that, that rose up in me in the Spirit of God is that if a man shows you affection, if a man shows love to you, and he's not this man, he is not the answer. Amen? Okay. And I want to say to the young men, 
that if you want to be the answer, this is what you need to be. This is what you need to be working for. Amen? Okay, let's move on. Take it for what it's worth. Um, so let's go back to the Scripture. Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So we see that the goal of a good father is to rear and raise children who are not discouraged. The goal of a good father uh, is, is to not create discouragement in the heart of his child. And so, that word discouragement implies uh, losing heart, being listless, spiritless, disinterested, moody, sullen, with a kind of blank resignation towards life. And what Paul's saying here is, is don't be a father who raises a kid like that. Instead, we need to develop a style of fatherhood that produces the opposite of discouragement. Now, what is that? I would sum the opposite of discouragement up in three characteristics. Number one, the opposite of discouragement is being happy. Number two, the opposite of discouragement is being hopeful. Number three, the opposite of discouragement is being confident and courageous. So I would say that the negative form of verse 21 really implies a positive command as well. It says, fathers do not provoke your children lest they be discouraged. But it means not only to avoid one kind of fatherhood, but also to pursue another kind of fatherhood. It means uh, that we need to be fathers who invoke hope, happiness, confidence, and courageousness. Now let me say this, if we stopped right here, if I stopped right here, then I would have not said anything about fathers that is distinctly Christian. There's not one parent in 10,000 that thinks that the goal of parenting and the goal of fatherhood is to discourage their children. That's not Christian in and of itself. But the Apostle Paul would be upset with me if I used his words this morning just to tell you that you need to make your children hopeful and happy and confident and courageous. Because that's not all of what he said. He didn't just uh, speak some common sense or worldly wisdom. The Apostle Paul didn't write this letter to the Colossians to confirm the words of Dr. Phil. The Apostle Paul sought to speak things to us as parents and as people uh, that no natural eye has seen and no natural ear has heard. And so let's go from this natural wisdom into what the Bible says, okay? Uh, Paul's teaching makes it clear that when he says that we should be fathers who give hope instead of discouragement, he means hope in God, okay? And that, you're going to hear me say that a lot tonight, or today, this morning. It's dark in here. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't mean hope in money or hope in popularity. It doesn't mean hope in education or hope in a spouse or hope in professional success. In fact, if you ask Paul or you ask Jesus what they meant in this Scripture, 
Christ through God and His Spirit inspiring this through Paul, what they meant. Um, if you asked them, uh, what did you mean by that? He, they wouldn't say, I want you to have children who are freed from discouragement because they have hope and wealth. And they wouldn't want you, they wouldn't want you to think that, that that hope should be in being well known or intellectual or married or successful. That's not what the Apostle Paul was saying here. We know what he means. He means that we need to be the kind of fathers who do not discourage our children, but rather fill them with hope in God. Okay? And when we consider happiness as the opposite of discouragement, Paul would not be content if a father simply made his kids happy by giving them whatever they want. You know, there is a type of happiness in this world that kills. In fact, the Scripture says in James 4.9, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to dejection. You see, there is a happiness that has nothing to do with God. And therefore, it has absolutely no value in the sight of God. It comes from the creation alone and not from the Creator. And that is not what Paul meant when he said, do not discourage your children. But there is another joy that comes to expression specifically spoken by the psalmist in Psalm 4, 7-8. through He says, you have put, you speaking of God, speaking to God, you have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increase. I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So fathers, don't discourage your your children, but fill them with joy in God. Teach them early on and show them earlier yet that through many sufferings, we must enter into the kingdom of heaven. But that they can rejoice in sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope in God. Okay? Don't discourage them, but make them happy in God by helping them to hope in God. And then the third thing, when we consider confidence as the opposite of discouragement, the message of Scripture begins to take a dramatic turn away from the wisdom of the world. We see a great diversion when it comes to confidence in, in, the, in the rearing of our children from that which the world speaks. Oh, See, the world says, don't discourage the child, but build up his self-confidence. But the Bible says, don't discourage a child. Build up his God confidence. In fact, the Scripture is more precise than that. It teaches, don't discourage a a child, but do your best to root out his self-confidence and replace it with a confidence in God. And when it teaches us to root out self-confidence, it means root out the desire and the will to appear self-confident and to appear self-sufficient. And you see, the Scripture knows that most people don't succeed in, that, in, in projecting that desired appearance of self-confidence. 
In fact, most people are quite unhappy, especially most men are quite unhappy, that we are unable to appear self-sufficient, self-confident, cool, calm, in control. And it's a battle, it's a flesh battle on the inside of us. So when the Scripture teaches us to root out self-confidence, it means go for the root. Not just the half-withered branches that we see manifested in our life and in our action. It means go for the desire to be self-confident. Not, not the manifestation of that desire in our, in our actions. And one vivid illustration of this uh, is given through the Apostle Paul's life. We see God, uh, you know, it's estimated that this was some 20 years after Paul's conversion. So he was radically converted on the road to Damascus. He saw the Lord. He received special revelation of Jesus uh, such that even though he was the only apostle who never saw Jesus whenever he was alive and who was not with him during his ministry, that he was given apostolic authority because of his communion with the resurrected Christ. And so this, this man uh, was, was, was a very... Uh, Christ-centered man, and yet we see God working in his heart 20 years after his conversion and ministry, working out his self-confidence and working in God-confidence. And what does that tell us? That tells us that self-confidence is a very deeply rooted sin in each and every one of us. That we need to submit our lives to the Father and let Him root it out of us. Uh, let me show you the Scripture. 2 Corinthians 1, 8-9 through says, We do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself, while we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely or be confident, not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So in other words... The divine purpose of Paul's affliction, as it is the purpose of all good fatherly discipline, was to root out the remaining self-confidence of Paul's heart and to cast him on God alone. Now why? Why did God do this? Was it because God didn't want him to be confident? Was it because He wanted him to be listless, spiritless, moody, sullen, weak, and fearful? No, we understand that that wasn't the case. It was God who came to Paul in Corinth and said, do not be afraid, but speak out and do not be silent, for I am with you. So the confidence that we are to build into our children is not self-confidence, but confidence in the grace and the power of God. We speak those things into Him. The same thing they spoke into the Apostle Paul. We tell them, son... Daughter, God says, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Okay? Now, uh, Andrew Bonar, 19th century Scottish pastor, said concerning the teaching of children, we tell them, the children, we tell the children, parents tell the children, you are sinners exposed to God's wrath and curse, and you cannot save yourself. But God's own Son can save you by Himself bearing that wrath and curse. In other words, we teach our children 
to despair of all self-confidence and direct their desire for confidence to the grace of God. We hope and we pray as, as parents and we hope that we can rear up children who will say, like, in Psalm, like the psalmist said in Psalm 60, 11-12, Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is He who shall tread down our enemies. And that was Psalm 60, 11-12. So a good father will ponder this. These are thoughts of a good father. How can I be like my own heavenly Father? How can I banish self-reliance from the heart of my children and fill them with confidence and courage and zeal and boldness that are rooted in the grace and the power of God and not in themselves? How can I be the kind of father whose children do not lose heart or become spiritless or listless or sullen or discouraged, but are filled with hope in God and happiness in God and confidence in God and courage to attempt great things for God? How do I do that? That question leads us to turn uh, now to the second part of the text. Namely, the duty of Christian parents not to provoke their children. Again, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Again, we notice that the command is a negative command. Something to be avoided. Now, if you look at the previous verse, verse 20, Paul has just told children... He said, children, obey your parents. Uh, that gives parents a tremendous biblical authority and responsibility. Because children are to do, according to the Bible, what their parents say. However, in verse 21, he cautions fathers against a misuse of this God-given authority. The misuse he has in mind is that fathers might treat their, their children in such a way that their spirit is broken and they become hopelessly discouraged. Paul calls this misuse provoking them. He said, do not provoke your children. Now in Ephesians 6.4, a different word is used that specifically means do not provoke to anger. But this is a very general word here in Colossians 3.21, which is translated provoke. Uh, it can even be used positively as it was in 2 Corinthians 9.2 where it says that the Christians in Achaia provoked the Christians in Macedonia to be more generous. In other words, they stirred them up and they motivated them to be more generous. So in choosing the broad and general word, I think that Paul would have us teach that parents should avoid everything that ruins uh, a child's confidence, that ruins a child's happiness, that discourages, that, that discourages a child long term. That's what he's speaking to uh, more, more generally than the specific command in, uh, in Ephesians 6.4. So this requires tremendous wisdom, Right? Because we understand that not every discouragement to a child is a long-term discouragement, right? Whenever my son wants a third cookie, 
<laughs> and he's already had two cookies, and I, I say, no, son, you can't have a cookie. You can't have another cookie. It's going to hurt your tummy. You know, that's a, that's a short-term discouragement to my son, but it's not, it's not what the Apostle Paul was talking about here. He's talking about those things which long-term destroy the heart, destroy the spirit, destroy and discourage uh, the child on the inside. Okay? So it takes great wisdom. It takes great leading of the Holy Spirit. God, what are those things which I am not to do in order to not discourage my children? And so I just want to look at two things. There's many things. I want to look at two things that we're going to focus at this morning uh, that fathers often do that can discourage their children long term. The first thing is, is that some fathers fail to be happy and hopeful and confident in the Lord. Fathers, what we are in relationship to God is far more important than any parenting technique that we can ever employ. It's not about what we do. It's about who we are in the Lord. Will your children hope in God if you hope in money? Will your children be happy in God if they see that fishing brings you more happiness than worship? Will your children be confident in God if your whole demeanor communicates that it's about me, that I am self-confident, that I don't need anybody but me? I can do it all by myself. You see, the most important work that a father can do for his children is to believe and put his faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing more important than believing. The most important strategy for rearing children is to become a new man in Christ submitted to the Holy Spirit. Dying daily. Saying no to myself daily. I'm going to follow Jesus. It's important that our hope and our happiness and our confidence are in God and not in ourselves. Now we know this is true wisdom from Scripture because there we are taught to imitate the Heavenly Father. We're told to be holy as He is holy. 1 Peter 1.16 We're told to be merciful as He is merciful. Luke 6.36 You see, to be a good child is to copy Daddy according to the Scriptures. That's how we honor God. We copy Him. We imitate Him. We follow after Him. It honors a father to be imitated and we are commanded to honor our fathers. And so the most important question that a father can ask is not what shall I teach my children, but rather who am I before the living God and before my children? That's the first thing that fathers can do to provoke their children to long-term discouragement and hopelessness. They can fail to be hopeful, happy, and confident in God. 
The second thing that fathers do which provokes children to long-term discouragement and hopelessness is to discipline them in an impulsive, erratic, and inconsistent manner. You see, unpredictable, impulsive, and hostile discipline makes children fearful, bitter, deceitful, and discouraged. They don't know where or why the next explosion might come from. They say to themselves, what's the use? How can I hope that being good is any better than being bad? And so the spirit of moral hope is broken, and in its place comes calculated, deceitful, and discouraged maneuvering. On the other hand, when discipline is controlled and appropriate and consistent and based on clear rules and principles of justice in the home, there's a security that comes. There's a happiness that comes. There's, there's, there's something that clicks in the child and, and, and the child begins to realize, I can operate inside of these, these rules of consistent justice. I can be creative. I can play. I can discover myself. I can figure out who I am inside of the bounds of righteousness and justice that my parents have consistently set forth around me. They gain confidence that this is the way that God is. They believe that He's not a capricious God. He is not impulsive or erratic or inconsistent. There is order. There is justice tempered by mercy. There is hope and encouragement. Why they begin to believe, I might even, I might even be able to uh, accomplish something of value or even greatness if I fit into this order and depend on the goodness of the Father who loves me like my daddy loves me. They see Jesus in us. They see God. We're witness to them. Be like your Father in heaven so that your children can know Him and become hopeful and happy and confident in Him. And lastly and briefly, I just want to address the significance of the direct address to fathers in this passage. Uh, Remember in verse 20, it says, Children, obey your parents. This clearly teaches that mothers as well as fathers are to be obeyed. Mothers and fathers have a shared authority over children, biblically. But in verse 21, fathers are addressed in particular, directly. You see, there's a peculiar role that the Scripture gives to husbands and fathers. It's a role of leadership by serving In Ephesians 5, Paul says to wives that they should submit to their husbands, but he tells husbands that they should lay down their lives in sacrificial love for their wife. In Ephesians 6, Paul gives the command to children that they should obey their parents, yet immediately following that command, he specifically addresses fathers as the leaders in discipline and instruction. You see, fathers are called to be like Christ who gave abundantly more than he ever received in this life. Can I speak something to you guys? It's not about fair. 
It's not about getting what's yours. It's not about, I've been working all day, I deserve to do what I want. It's about laying down your life. That's what God calls us to do. We don't deserve it. We're not owed it. We're called to follow after Christ and lay down our lives. To give more than we could ever receive. Fathers bear a special responsibility for the moral life of the family. That responsibility includes leading his children in just and fair discipline and instruction. It includes being the primary model of godliness to his children. And this responsibility requires continual prayer and leading of the Holy Spirit. So I urge you to take that responsibility, fathers, and that you be the kind of man who gives hope and happiness and confidence to your children because you yourself have found your hope and your happiness and your confidence in God. Amen? Will you stand with me? Let's let's just um, enter into a moment of application and prayer. You know, this morning you might you might be here. You might be saying, "Man, I'm not a father like that." Or you might be saying, "Man, I'm I'm not a person like that. I don't I don't find my hope in God. I don't find my happiness in God. I don't find my confidence in God." You might say to yourself this morning that I could never be that kind of person. Well, I want to tell you this morning that you can't be that kind of person. None of us can. But God gave us the Gospel. He tells us in the Bible that Jesus came and He died for our sins. He died for those imperfections. The Bible says that He was dead for three days. And then after those three days, He rose from the dead to give us newness of life. And I want to tell you this morning that if you just see in yourself and you say, man, I'm, I'm not that kind of person. I don't know if I've ever trusted in Jesus. I don't know if I've ever received new life from God. I want to tell you this morning that the Spirit of God is saying, Awaken! Pray, Christians. The Spirit of God says, Awaken! Trust in Jesus. Lay down that, lay down that, that sinfulness. Lay down that, that person that you don't even want to be. Awaken. So this morning, if if you've never trusted in Jesus, if you're not sure if you've ever trusted in Jesus, I just want to lead you in a prayer right where you are. Um, we're all going to pray it together. And we're just going to tell Jesus, we're going to say, 
Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that You died on the cross for me. That You were dead for three days and that You rose from the dead to give me a new life. And I trust in that for the salvation of my soul. And then, after that, I'm just going to ask You to meet Jim Carpenter at this table over here to Your right. And he's going to give you some information about how to walk it out with Jesus. So if there's anybody here right now who wants to do that, who wants to believe in Jesus and trust in Jesus, I just want you to raise your hand real quick. Anybody out there? Okay. Anybody else? Let's all pray together. Say, Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that You died for me. That You were dead for three days. And that You rose from the grave to give me new life. I believe and trust in that for the salvation of my soul. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, stay in a place of prayer with me. If you prayed that for the very first time, if you'll just, if you'll just walk over the table, Jim will be waiting there for you. But I believe that, that God has the same call for many in this room. I have newness of life. But man, I'm, I'm not yielded to the Holy Spirit, to the power of the Holy Spirit that makes me a person like that. God has the same command to you. Awaken. Now is the time. Now is the time to, to begin to place our hope and our happiness and our confidence not in the things of this world, but in God. And so I, I just want to invite you real quick, if, if, if that's you, just come on, come on forward. Come to the altar. Come on up to the altar. I want to pray for you. I want to I offer one more uh, invitation as well. There's some people in here with broken father relationships. And you just have unforgiveness for your dad. You look back at what he did to you. You can't forgive him. hurt you. He broke you. He discouraged you. I want to tell you this morning that God is saying, I want to take that rag from you. And I want to offer you my fatherhood. I want to restore you. I want to, I want to make you whole. If that's you this morning, I, I ask you just right now to come, come on to the front. Somebody's going to come and pray with you. And the Lord is going to replace that bitter unforgiveness for, with righteousness and, 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 and the fatherhood of God and the goodness and the comfort of the perfect Father. Trent, could you, um, could you come up, man? Amen. Well, let's just close in prayer. And let's pray that, that, that Father God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, would make us, make us that. 
And if you'll just receive it with me, I just lift my hand. If you want to lift your hand with me, let's just receive this prayer. Heavenly Father, we love You, God. We thank You, Father, that You have called us to be hopeful in You, Lord God. That, Lord, that we do not put our hope in men, Lord God. That we do not put our hope in money. But we put our hope in You, O God. Lord, we believe, Lord God, that that You are all we need. We believe that You are our supply, Lord God. That You are our source, Lord God. That when we are thirsty, Lord God, that You satisfy, Lord. Father, I pray that we would find our joy in You, Lord. Our happiness, God. I pray that our happiness would not be dependent on our circumstance, Lord. That it wouldn't that 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 our job, Lord God, or our our uh, income, Father God, or our house, Lord God, or how people view us, Lord God, would not be the source of our joy, Lord God, but that our joy would be in You, Lord. Father, I pray that You would be our our confidence, Lord God. That we would not set our hopes, Lord God, in anything of this world, Lord. But Father, that we would look to You with confident expectation, Lord God. That You will do what You say that You were going to do, Lord God. Father God, that all the promises of the Bible are true. Father God, that that though we suffer in this life, Lord God, it is suffering unto great glory when we suffer to You, Lord. Put our confidence in You, God. And Lord, I pray specifically for the fathers, Lord. Lord, I pray that that Father God, that You would help us to stand, Lord God, and shake off the flesh and shake off our selfishness, Lord God. Father, submit to the Holy Spirit, God. And be examples to our children of You, Lord God. Thank You, Jesus. Oh Lord, it's not by our works, God, but the power of Your Holy Spirit working in us, Lord. If you receive that, just just speak it now. Say, Holy Spirit, work this in me. Work it in me. Not Not by my power. I'm unable to do this. It's by Your power. Moment by moment. It's by Your power, Lord, that when my when my child knocks something over or hurts me on accident, that I am able to show the mercy and the love of God. Lord, it's by Your power, Lord God, that I glorify You before my children with my tongue and with my eyes, Lord. With my actions, Lord. It's by Your power. So Lord, every day I will wake up and I will seek You. I will do whatever it takes. I will rearrange my schedule. I'll give up those things that consume my time to be a man of God before my children. Oh Lord, let him who has ears hear. Receive it. Walk it. Don't let the enemy come and steal it from you. Put it into action. In Jesus' name, Amen.
Amen. Well, I hope the word of the Lord has edified you and uh, happy Father's Day. Uh, you guys have a great day.